Welcome to the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. Every week we examine a chapter from the Bible and share music filled with God's Word. You can find our weekly content by searching Adams Road Podcast on your podcast app. Let's start today by listening through Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. As they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them, being upset, because they taught the people and proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was now evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came out to be about 5,000. In the morning, their rulers, elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were relatives of the high priest. When they had stood them in the middle of them, they inquired, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, be it known to you all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, in him does this man stand here before you whole. He is the stone which was regarded as worthless by you, the builders, which has become the head of the corner. There is salvation in none other, for neither is there any name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. All right, today we're in Acts chapter 4. Going back to verse 1, as they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them, being upset because they taught the people and proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So according to the Bible Gateway Encyclopedia of the Bible, the captain of the temple was kind of like the police force of the temple precincts. They had eyes on prophets or proclaimers of God's word who seemingly got out of hand and were to punish them. The Sadducees were also upset with them as they preached. It should be noted that the Sadducees didn't believe in an afterlife or resurrection at all. So naturally, they found no place for a message proclaiming Jesus, the one whom they had rejected, and specifically a message making known the resurrection from the dead in Christ. To accept Jesus would mean they'd have to admit they were wrong and submit to Christ. Furthermore, when Jesus was among them in the flesh, he had more than once challenged the Sadducees about their teachings and practices. The entire idea of Jesus and his movement was a threat to the Jewish authorities like the Sadducees and the priests. Verse 3, They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was now evening. Alright, so these guys basically put them in the jail for the next day. It typically wasn't allowed according to Jewish customs to have a trial by night. And yet, ironically, this is what the Jewish rulers, of course, did to Jesus. But in the case of Peter and John here, they did follow their customs regarding this. For example, we read from the Mishnah, Sanhedrin 4.1 states, 
judgments about money may be commenced in the day and concluded in the night, but judgments about life must begin in the day and concluded in the day. These Jewish authorities were trying to put a stop to the spread of Peter and John's message. Maybe it can be easy to consider the Sadducees and priests and look with scorn upon how they responded to Jesus' message that was delivered through his apostles. But when the message of Christ threatens our own quote-unquote seats of authority, I wonder how often we might behave in a similar way as the Jewish authorities. I think I've been as guilty as anyone of this. Regarding certain areas of our own lives, we can ask ourselves, is Jesus Lord over this? Or am I clinging to this quote-unquote seat of authority and not surrendering it to Christ? When we are confronted with a biblical message that threatens our idols, do we attack the messenger and cling more tightly to the weights and sins that so easily entangle us? Or do we receive the word with meekness, even if it requires change or costs us something? You see, the Sadducees, they clung to a false belief about the resurrection and to the power and control their positions of authority afforded them. Embracing Jesus' message could have meant they would have needed to die to those things. Death to self and life in Christ is always best, though. Verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Despite their efforts to hinder the apostles in the proclamation of the message of Christ, God's word did not return void. The word believed. What an example of boldness from these apostles that should encourage us. I ask myself time and time again, why am I so weak? Why do I often cower from proclaiming Christ in the face of opposition? Why do I sometimes allow the smallest of circumstances and distractions to prevent me from declaring with boldness the mighty works of God in Christ to others? <laughs> they need to hear it. What is more important than people hearing the message of Christ? Faith comes through hearing. But if no one declares the message to them, how are people going to hear it and come to faith? The apostles apparently found boldness through prayer in the Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission in view of facing imprisonment and threats from their own governing authorities. And through their obedience to proclaim God's Word, the number of men who believed that day came to 5,000. Most of the apostles probably weren't great orators. They weren't educated. They were simply willing to be used by God in the power of His Spirit and to obey Him. I'd imagine Peter, for example, was less concerned about the way in which the message was to be delivered, like how perfect, ornate, or refined it was, and more concerned with simply making sure the message itself was faithfully shared. Even in simplicity and weakness, even in the face of threats and imprisonment, I love their encouragingly bold and faithful examples in Christ to proclaim Jesus. God was really doing a work in the early Christian church, as evident in the fact that 5,000 men came to faith that day as they heard God's word, in spite of the opposition. Verse 5. In the morning, their rulers, elders, and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were relatives of the high priest. 
Guys, this was the same crew who had recently crucified their Messiah, Jesus. It had to have crossed Peter and John's mind that maybe now was their time. <laughs> Were they next? Verse 7. When they had stood, Peter and John in the middle of them, they inquired, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, All right, let's, let's pause right there. I love how God takes control here. He doesn't leave this situation to Peter's devices. Rather, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter is empowered by the Spirit to proclaim the message God wanted delivered to the people, just as he promised he'd do. Jesus had told them in Mark 13, 11, whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Have you ever experienced a time where God showed up and took control? Where the Holy Spirit moved in you to say or do something that was totally a God thing? Where God worked through you and you knew it was in His strength and not your own that you did something to His glory? It's so fulfilling when He works in and through us His good and perfect will. I just need to remember at times to get out of the way and allow God to do what He wants to do in me. So Peter says, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, may it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this man stands here before you whole in him. <laughs> Gotta love the almost sarcasm here. Peter in a subtle way is kind of like, look, this is ridiculous. We're on trial today because of a good deed done to a crippled man. Where's the logic in that? In response to their inquisition regarding the means through which that man had been healed, Peter points them to Jesus. Jesus is the one behind the good deed. The man was healed and stands whole through the name of Jesus. Peter's like, in fact, it was this Jesus whom you yourselves had crucified. As in Peter's previous sermons earlier in Acts, it doesn't take him long to cut to the chase. His audience had crucified Jesus. Jesus is the center of every message Peter has preached so far, Christ crucified and raised from the dead. The core of the gospel is that God had made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? Jesus was made to be sin in the sense that he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree, or cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jesus suffered on the cross of Calvary nearly 2,000 years ago to pay in full our sin debt owed to God. In a sense, it was our sin that put Jesus on that cross. We all had part in crucifying our Savior. We were enemies of God, dead in the sins and trespasses in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, living in the passions of our flesh and doing whatever we wanted. As Paul speaks of in Ephesians 2, we were by nature children of wrath, and so were these Israelites to whom Peter was addressing here. 
he was once again in the sermon, making his audience painfully aware of the role they had played in crucifying and rejecting their own Messiah. A vital step in the process of one being converted to Christ is first recognizing how one has sinned against and rejected him. A person must recognize his lost state, despise it, and then choose to turn to Jesus and embrace him as his salvation. Peter makes them aware of their sinful and lost state and having rejected their Messiah. But after this, he offers them the hope and salvation that is in Jesus, the one who died for their sins and ours, that we might live in him. Peter goes on to say about Jesus, He is the stone which was regarded as worthless by you, the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Here, Peter's quoting from Psalm 118, Verse 22, Jesus was rejected by men, but exalted by God. Peter continues, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. You've probably heard someone at some point say that there are many paths that lead to heaven. You could get there as a Christian, or you could get there as a Buddhist, or just by being a good person and so on. But that's not biblical. There's only one way to heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And of course, in what we just read, Peter states, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. This is an exclusive statement and perhaps offensive to some, but scripture is clear. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Salvation's in him and through his name alone. Being a good person ain't gonna get you to heaven. Simply joining a religion or attending a church won't get you to heaven. It's not gonna be good enough to absolve anyone of a sin before a just and holy God. Only believing in Christ alone and what he has done for us can save. And enter the sheepfold by the door, but tries to climb in by another way. He is a thief and a robber, cause as I've said before, only through me you'll be saved. And you may be wondering, how can we know the way? is eternal life that you know God and me And the law I am here 
next to you was way truth in life from the Adams Road album Tongues of Fire
This is the Adams Road Podcast, an outreach of the Christian music ministry Adams Road. You can learn more about us at AdamsRoadMinistry.com. Again, that's AdamsRoadMinistry.com. We release a new podcast episode every Saturday. Feel free to join us next week as we examine Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. Grace and peace be with you all.